Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It was hot enough to burn, and the air wasn't moving at all, but a thundercloud was keeping the patio shaded winter dark. On account of the strange feeling in the world, the customers out there weren't talking much. It was the kind of weather that my mom used to call ominous. She put up spare crosses to keep away bad spirits, and it made me and my brother feel better. We didn't have any relics at Cooper's, though, because Cooper always said bargoers wouldn't like it. They didn't want to be reminded of religion while they were getting thrashed and trying to get some. It made sense, sure. I still wished I had some sort of comfort as I took my dad's first roundabout through the building. Cooper's had been active in the 20s as a speakeasy and had been expanded many times. Till now, it was a gigantic mess of a building. The trip to the bathrooms alone had newcomers confused. They'd go back from the bar area and find a little dining room back some more and find a half-exposed patio. Back past that, and there's narrow steps down a crappy basement drinking area. If they take a left past those stairs, they hit one of the building's exits. If they turn around, the bathroom doors are in the wall behind them, same color as the surrounding wood. They usually don't even know the doors are there unless someone else comes out. And that was just half the first floor. The place had two basement levels, four floors, and a small fenced area on the roof. It was a mansion of a bar, and Cooper treated it that way. He was there getting drunk and giving away free drinks every single night. It was his own personal party every day of the week. Us? We were just buzzkills at his party. Nobody wants to think about paying the help while the party's still on, but his party never ended. So he was always pissy and annoyed that he had to give money to these people in his mansion. There were random screaming fits, lots of excuses to dock pay, but that stuff was still better than my last job. No, the thing that got me was his need to test us. He'd leave some random mess somewhere in the mazy bar at the start of the day, and later he'd ask us if we did our roundabouts right. We'd say yes, of course, and he'd say, well then, let's check upstairs, and we'd know we'd be boned right from the start. 
He'd make a big speech on the way up the stairs about trusting us and appreciating our help, and then, oh, what's this? I left this mess here to test you, and it's not cleaned up. I thought you said you did your roundabout right. And then it was a half an hour of red-faced screaming while we stood in place with a dead expression. One frown, one tear, or one word would get you fired. We'd all seen it. So I was hot-faced when I found it. I didn't say anything because the quiet outside had snuck in somehow and kept everything in the building whispery and weird. I felt that Cooper could hear even the slightest mutter so I cleaned it up without a word. He didn't say anything that day, though. He didn't ask about my roundabout. The weather was exactly the same the next day, a little hotter and quieter, if anything. Just really damn nervous weather. We took orders in hushed tones, and the customers spoke like they were in church during a sermon. I found it again, in the same place, The fourth floor was smaller than the others, one big room really which topped the mansion, and it was usually only available for reserved events. A few too small windows showed out onto the dark gray skies, making me feel uncomfortably visible to the unhappy air out there, but the big room was otherwise usually pretty nice. There was nothing up there but brick walls, hardwood floors, a small bar in one corner, and a whole lot of tables and chairs. The chairs were all upside down on the tables like they were supposed to be, but somebody had built little houses out of the sugar packets in the middle of all that. I didn't know how the hell he'd done it the first time, and I sure didn't have any idea the second. To even get the sugar packets, I had to carefully put down a bunch of the chairs at each table, and putting the chairs back on would surely have knocked down the little structures. It was as impressive as it was strange, and... The whole silent time I was fixing it, I felt like he was looking over my shoulder from somewhere. But there was only a narrow gray-skied window behind me. Just as I was done, something creaked somewhere and I hurried out of there. Weird thing was, Cooper didn't say anything about my roundabout that day either. My next shift, it was still quiet and dark out and painfully hot. That time, he finally asked questions about my rounds, and I told him I'd found his little trick a third time and decided not to fix it. Not in so many words, of course. He said he didn't know what I was talking about, so I took him up to the fourth floor. I'd seen the little sugar packet buildings not two hours before, but now the big room was totally different. Chairs had been stacked into big regular pillars in the middle of the room, and the tables were all on their sides in hexagon shapes. Cooper was pissed, and he told me to clean it up or I wouldn't get paid for that day. I didn't know if that was legal, but I didn't have a choice, really. Confused and angry, I spent an hour setting tables back and upending chairs right. Who had even been up here? I'd just been there two or three hours before, and I hadn't seen anyone have enough time to do all that. Just as I pulled the last chair up on one of the tables and wiped the sweat from my forehead, I felt like somebody was watching me. This time, I stared at the dark skies out one of the narrow windows, with the feeling that I would see somebody out there in the shifting clouds. Somebody who was watching me from really far away. 
The longer I stared, the more creeping little needles climbed up my spine, and I eventually had to break and run downstairs. When the fourth floor tables and chairs were rearranged again the next day, Cooper called me at home to bitch me out. All I could do was remind him that he'd seen me fix them and leave, and I hadn't been back since. This shifted his anger to someone else, a prankster that he swore he was going to catch. He only got angrier, as it continued to happen every day for the next week. The patterns became more complex, and even the bottles from the corner bar up there started to get mixed in. At some points, we went up there in the morning to find a single stack of beer bottles from the floor to the ceiling, one bottle on top of another, perfectly capped to bottom from hardwood to paint. I touched it, and they all fell and smashed everywhere. Cooper docked my pay double for each one. For once, I shouted back at him, and he got really red-faced and talked low. He said that, sure, he'd give me that money if I sat outside that room with him the entire night to catch the prankster. Whatever, I agreed. I was invested, too. I couldn't figure out how the hell they were doing it. It was the hottest night that month. It hadn't rained once in weeks, giving the air the consistency of sandpaper. I was mad, though, and I had a mission. I set two chairs in a tiny room near the base of the stairs to the fourth floor. The idea was that we'd wait for the creaking on the steps and then rush outside to catch the guy. It made sense. The steps were the only way up. So after finishing up all my closing tasks at around 4 in the morning, I turned off all the lights like usual and headed out the back, but then slipped around through the dark and let myself and Cooper in through one of the many side doors. We crept up to the second floor, down a couple of hallways, took a right, and then used the old service ladder to get up to the third. Finally, we snuck into our little room near the base of the steps to the fourth and holded up. Cooper had brought a six-pack of bottles, but he didn't share. He simply sat in the dark, drinking and fuming. Even though I couldn't see him, I knew how red-faced he must have been. It was how he always got, and I imagined that he might beat this poor trickster to death if we actually caught him. He was into his second beer when the night sounds of the Maisie Mansion bar began settling in. A creek echo from somewhere far away, and we both stiffened in our seats a little. But no, it was nothing. A fan kicked on somewhere for a minute. What fan? What did it do? I'd never heard it before. It cycled off before I could really pinpoint it with my ears. Like we'd been hearing all month, thunder rumbled outside. The shift in pressure that came with it creaked and swayed the building in a way I would have never felt during the day. It was only now that I could feel it with... No other sense or noise or night to get in the way. The rolling thunder faded, and a floorboard creaked. Cooper sat up tall in the dark. I heard the slight clink of his beer being put down. Taking the hint, I stood up with him, going slow to avoid making noise. We both waded through another deep roll of trembling thunder, ears strained for any hint that someone was outside in the third floor hallway. I focused my hearing out there, going deeper and deeper into the silence. Every moment, the feeling that I was about to hear something horrible grew stronger 
until an incredible ruckus erupted above us, and we heard wood slamming wood and tables sliding. It sounded like an explosion, or like a trained troop of soldiers had suddenly all taken action at once. Together, Cooper and I burst out of our hiding spot and ran up. He furiously kicked the door open, and all of the tables, chairs, beer, and liquor bottles had been arranged in scattered geometric patterns. There was no motion in the room. It had all been done almost instantly. That wasn't the part that shocked us, though. It was the fact that we could see it. The narrow windows still showed out stormy gray skies. It was five in the morning and still pitch blackout. But the windows were showing the same gray day storms I'd been seeing all month long. That, and a light blue glow, the kind moss might give off in a cave, was just finishing fading as we scanned the room. As the blue glow faded, so did the light from the windows, and darkness fell over us. Cooper swore, more fearful than angry now. We both hustled downstairs and out of the building. Once we were out in the parking lot, he swore a dozen more times and held his hands to his forehead while he tried to think of what to do. Haunted, he said. Shoulda known, he said. Shit, he said. He walked around breathing hard and cussing and throwing out ideas. He could sell the place, but then he'd get sued if they found out he'd known about the haunting. He could try to get a priest or something, but he didn't want the news to get out and scare customers away. Finally, he turned to me, and he said that he had it. Instead of coming into work, I would go to the library and research the place's past or something, do like an investigation, like in the movies. I was not having it. He said he'd dock my pay again. I threatened to quit rather than deal with the goddamn ghost. He stood a little taller, and then he said he'd sue me for stealing things if I didn't do it. I hadn't stolen anything. Both he and I knew that that didn't matter. So, pissed as hell, I went to the library the next day instead of the bar. I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew in movies they always went and looked at old newspaper articles, so I did that. The place had a terrible history, but wasn't that going to be the case for a building over a hundred years old? Someone had gotten shot there during Prohibition, a guy died there of a heart attack in the 30s, someone else had fallen off the little roof in the 40s before they had the fences up there, and there were a lot of cases of workers going missing after complaining about working conditions and managerial theft. The last one concerned me. I'd always put up with Cooper's crap, but others hadn't. My family had owned the place since the beginning, and I'd heard stories of his grandfather's rather harsh take on his servants. His dad, too, had been a hard ass. I guess Cooper was just part of the family line of assholes who thought they owned you because you worked for them. And what was I doing? Running around like his personal assistants for Jack All. He didn't even pay me. The more I made in tips the less the establishment had to pay me in wages by law. 
For the last two years, while we had to contemplate turnover and staff, every three months, I'd stuck around. For that, I'd got a consistent paycheck of zero dollars twice a month. And if the orders got messed up, if customers changed their mind, or if I got something wrong, it came out of my pay. I was basically paying this bastard to work at his bar. Meanwhile, he partied it up every night, acting like the world's biggest hero. The more I thought about it, the angrier I got, and not just for me. A century of people like me had the Cooper family rich. It was no wonder his damn place was haunted. Somebody up there was clamoring for attention. Even better, Cooper kept me on secret figuring out the ghost duty for the next few weeks. As the heat and quiet deepened into the flapjacks face down side to hell itself, everyone else sweated and cooked in their seats, but I kept inside and studied on the fourth floor. The pattern began to make sense. There was a timing to it, and a strong connection to the weather. The effect, too, was getting more elaborate. It was as if the murmur that had begun with sugar packets had now turned into shouting with splintered wood. The last day, the tables themselves had been disassembled and carved into something new. Shapes that vaguely resembled bones with intricate random patterns carved upon them. I picked up one of the five-foot-long carvings and stared at it for a good hour, trying to figure out what these tormented spirits were asking for. The walls were wet, and I realized that liquid from inside... The still-sealed liquor bottles have been splattered into spirals, circles, and lines. Annoyed at what would end up being yet another dock in my pay, I moved the remaining tables, chairs, and bottles out of the room, and then spent two hours scrubbing the walls dry. The last day, the weather had become oppressive to the point of torture. The air was thick and hard to breathe, and the sky was pitch black at noon. The thick thunder clouds that had been gathering for the entire summer sat overhead glaring down angrily. People were scared, but in a muted kind of way they couldn't share. Attendance was up, but only so customers could drink themselves into oblivion. And then the dishwashing machine broke. Cooper came in and announced the staff would be all staying late to wash dishes by hand. Unpaid, of course. I heard this and I pulled him aside. See, I didn't really think anything bad would happen, but I did want to scare some human decency into him. I knew the high upper room would be doing its thing in about two minutes, so I told him I'd solve the problem. In fact, and this is a bit of genius I made up on the spot, something else weird had started happening. The wooden tables and chairs, instead of being rearranged, had started turning to gold. His eyes lit up something devilish, but he slapped me on the back and told me he'd give me a ten-cent raise if it were true. For my hard work that summer, he said. And because, goddammit, he just liked me as a person. As long as I wasn't kidding about him on this gold thing, of course. Thanking him profusely, I walked him up, smiled at him at the top of the fourth floor stairs, and then let him go in first. I closed the door behind me and hurried down to the kitchen to wait among my co-workers. It didn't take long. 
Cooper's blood-curdling scream echoed out through his mazy mansion bar loud enough to be heard by customers and staff alike. None of us moved. At that moment, the two-month-long buildup finally broke. A tremendous blast of thunder shook the building and rain started blasting down with torrential force outside. A longtime regular customer stood up, his eyes concerned. And one of our bartenders finally started moving. We followed our impromptu leader to the first flight of stairs, still hearing Cooper's scream sporadically through the rain and thunder. Silence fell halfway up the second flight, and we crept along the dim third floor with a sense of dread. I was worried too, because I'd only meant to scare him, and those screams had been far deeper than just fear. We stepped up the last set of stairs, one creaking board at a time, and all hesitated outside the door. No sound came from inside, at least none that we could hear over the gusting rain. Thunder shook the building again, scaring us forward. Our bartender, leader, took the handle, turned it, and swung it open as we all stared into a room lit by gray skies that floated gloomily past narrow windows. There was no sign of the storm through that glass, and the usual eerie blue glow was already fading. But we got a good look. I should have expected it, really. I'd taken out all the carved wood and remaining chairs and tables. I'd even removed the bottles of liquor from the bar. The pattern was quite beautiful in a way. It was the most complex yet, and it spanned the room in a dazzling display of hanging, dripping, and stacked geometry. The carven shapes had become extremely intricate, and the splatters on the wall had taken on a new level of artistry. The materials were the only reason anyone started screaming. Since I'd removed everything else, the only thing left in the room to be rearranged by the phenomenon had been Cooper himself. I could still taste the river in my mouth when I woke up. I was in my bed, and my sheets and clothes clean and dry, but I had that feeling of soggy exhaustion you get after a long swim or being underwater for a while. The sunlight coming in through the windows was too bright, and my head seemed to sway unanchored for a moment as I sat up and tried to wake up enough to understand what had happened to make me feel this way. What could explain the rich, bitterly sour taste of river muck at the back of my throat that made me retch a little as I slid out of bed and went to the bathroom? Looking at myself in the mirror, I saw nothing out of place. An average-looking girl in average pajamas that looked a bit pale in the harsh light above the sink. No signs of having recently gone for a swim or narrowly avoiding a drowning. No memory of it either. In fact, I couldn't tell you the last time I'd been in the water, be it a river, a pool, or the ocean. At least a couple of years, I guess, and aside from the river running through the city and the pool at the gym, I wasn't sure of what bodies of water I'd easily have access to outside of my bathtub. 
Still, I couldn't shake the feeling that something had happened to me the night before. What would it have been, though? I remembered coming home from the office, taking a shower, watching TV, and then heading to bed. I didn't talk to anyone, never went back out, and nothing out of the ordinary stood out for memory. Maybe I was remembering part of a dream. I'd had dreams before where I still felt like I was falling for a second after waking, so maybe this was the same kind of thing. Some scrap of a nightmare where I was lost at sea or... No, it was a river. But still, maybe a nightmare about a river then. Either way, I needed to get to work. By lunchtime, I'd likely have to have forgotten about it. Except I didn't. If anything, my feeling of something being wrong had grown stronger. I'd intended on working through lunch, but by 12.30 I realized I needed to get out and get some fresh air. Eating the last of my sandwich wrap on the way out, I changed my initial plan of riding around for a bit with the windows down and headed up the block to a nearby park. It wasn't anything grandiose, just a small fountain dividing a dog park and an old playground, but it was as well maintained and conveniently located. It was also mostly empty today, aside from a woman walking a golden retriever around on a leash and a man playing with a toddler in the playground sandbox. I considered walking around more myself, but I still felt so tired, and after a moment of internal debate, I went to the closest park bench and sat down. The woman and the dog were passing closer by now, and I gave them a smiling nod. Maybe I should get a dog. It'd be good company, and... There was a man walking toward me. I hadn't noticed him before which seemed odd given that he was already in the middle of the dog park area when I first saw him. He was dressed in black medical scrubs and wore a mask, and I had the random thought that he was on his way to a surgery and had made wrong turn. A small laugh died in my throat as I realized he wasn't just walking my general direction, but he was headed for me, his light gray eyes fixed on mine above the dark red mask that obscured the lower half of his face. I couldn't tell his expression or intent, and the strangeness of it all frightened me a little. He was only 20 feet away now, and I wanted to get up and out of his path, maybe even run from the park entirely and head back to the safety of my office. Still, that was stupid. Whatever his deal was, he was probably just away from work like me. There was no reason for me to be freaked out just because he was walking toward me. That's when I saw the scalpel in his hand. He slashed me across the face before I could react, my nose going cold even as my lips went hot from the blood pouring over them. It was all too quick for me to dodge away, let alone scream as my first reaction was to reach for my face and feel the enormous wet cleft in the middle of my nose, a diagonal valley that began to widen as I lightly probed its depth. I needed to stop or... The end of my nose might just... He slashed again, this time across the backs of my raised hands, sending icy lines of agony through them while shoving my palms deeper into my wounded face with the force of his blow. Some of my fingers on both hands felt numb and mindless now, 
drooping and curling even as I pulled them down to my stomach and tried to stand up and get away. I made it to my feet and started to run. Even in the growing haze of pain and fear and shock, I had enough wherewithal to know better than to look around for help. There was no help for this other than escape. No stopping him before he cut me to bits if I let him. I was to the end of the playground when he caught me, snatching a fistful of my hair and yanking me back even as he brought an arm around my shoulders as though giving me an awkward hug. Instead, he raked the scalpel across my throat, killing my terrified scream before it became more than a whimpering squeal in the back of my throat. My legs were gone now. Everything was going. I could feel something. I think my body falling, but it didn't really seem to matter because it didn't seem like it was happening to me. It was like I was watching someone else's dream, and soon enough, I would realize I was. Waking up in my own bed, my throat sore and my skin tingling. It must be allergies. Though, usually, I didn't have much of a problem until the summer months. Drinking some water helped my throat, but I still found myself checking my hands and face for any kind of mark or swelling. The skin there looked normal, but it all felt warm and tender to me. Shrugging, I picked up my phone and saw I had a text from Brian at work. Didn't see you come back yesterday afternoon. Everything okay? I frowned at my phone. What was he talking about? Nothing happened the day before. I went to work. I... Didn't I go to the park at lunch? I thought so, but the details were fuzzy. So was the rest of the afternoon and evening, if I was being honest, but that was probably just because it had been boring and I was still sleepy. Besides, Brian was making it increasingly clear that he had a bit of a thing for me, and this was probably him just being super tentative or something. Guys got weird when they had a crush, and I still hadn't decided if I was feeling the weight of the metal bed frame pressing into me. In a hundred places, the man stacked more weight on top. He'd been waiting when I left my apartment that morning, carrying me to an empty office building where he'd already prepared a room. He'd secured me face down in the middle of the floor before lowering the legless steel bed frame down from where it had been propped up against the wall. The weight of it was uncomfortable, digging into my skull and pressing lines into my shoulder blades and butt. My head was turned to the side, and so at first I didn't see what he was bringing in from the adjoining room. He was considerate, though, walking around the far side so I could see the weight plates he had in hand. Forty-five pounds each. He laid the first two on the top of the bed. As he added more, I tried to get free or shake the weights off, but he had done more to the bed frame than just remove the legs. He was sliding the weights onto rods that kept them securely in place despite my feeble thrashing, and it wasn't long before I could barely breathe, let alone move. I managed to catch his eyes for a moment, unreadable above the red mask he wore. Why? His eyebrows furrowed angrily at me. You should know why. He went to say more when I felt something pop in my chest, maybe the first of my ribs breaking as my spine began to give way. I suddenly felt like I was underwater again, my lungs unable to expand as everything began to fill up with liquid and I'm drowning again, 
But when did I drown before? And none of this makes sense. Any sense of how long have you felt this way? I furrowed my brow at the therapist's question. Felt what way, exactly? She clicked her pen and gave me a small smile. That something was wrong. That you were maybe forgetting things, or that something was trying to... What do the kids call it nowadays? Gaslight you. Shrugging uncomfortably, I sat back in the chair. I don't know. When you say it like that, it sounds like I'm crazy. I... I mean, I don't think I'm crazy. Like a paranoid schizo or whatever. She laughed. No, I don't mean to imply that, but isn't it fair to say that you've been troubled for the past few weeks with the idea of, well, that you're being targeted or victimized in some way, either in your dreams or in some portion of your life you can't fully recall? Yeah, I mean, I think that's it. Yeah. All right, and how long has that been going on, do you think? I thought for a moment, but looking backward, all I could see were the dim outlines of past events surrounded by a dense gray fog. Heart beating faster, I met her eyes. I... I don't know. I can't fucking remember. I'm sorry, I can't remember. The woman shook her head and waved my apology away. Perfectly alright, no scared cows here. You say what you need to say, and I can understand why you not remembering can be distressing. She clicked her pen again as she jotted down a note. But what makes you think it's more than just a series of disturbing dreams? Swallowing, I nodded. Well, I think my words were cut off as hands closed around my throat from behind. I reached for them, but a moment later I was drunk backward, flipping over the chair as my attacker began dragging me from the room. It was a man in black scrubs, wearing a red medical mask and a furious expression as he pulled me through the office door into the waiting room. I managed to catch hold of the doorframe and halt our progress for a moment. I just needed to get the therapist long enough to call 911 or get building security. Something to get this lunatic off of me. But looking back into the woman's office, I saw her still standing there, staring at where I'd been as though she was patiently waiting for an answer I was no longer there to give. What is going? Another forceful yank and I lost my grip on the frame. There was a man and a little girl in the waiting room, but neither seemed to notice as I was drugged through, hoarsely screaming and kicking out into the hall. Once there, the man rolled me on my stomach and bound my hands with something before letting me up enough to painfully walk me out of the building and into his waiting van. I still tried to fight, of course, but he would wrench my arms up harshly when I resisted, ignoring my pleading screams as much as the half-dozen people we passed on the way outside. He drove us for what felt like an hour, and when the van stopped, I saw we were out of the city at some kind of old warehouse or factory. Checking his watch, he shoved me forward, telling me to hurry up, that we didn't want to be late. When I asked him for what, he gave me a harsh laugh. For your birthday. <laughs> your new birthday, that is. 
I could smell the stench of the building before he opened the door. It was a rotten smell, but not just that. It was a potent mixture of decay and blood and sweat, all overlaid with the hot, spiky scent of animal pain and fear. I had the thought that he'd taken me to a slaughterhouse, and when he opened the door, I saw I wasn't wrong. Oh my god. I don't understand how you can sit there so fucking calmly. Do you not even care that Zack is dead? Will stared at me, the naked anger and fear in his face just making me madder, making me hate him more. Looking down, I saw his hands clenching and unclenching on the knees of his black scrubs. What are you going to do, hit me? Big fucking man going to hit me? Go ahead, pussy. He looked away from me, rubbing his face. Jesus, Carol. I know this isn't you talking. It's the shock and all, but please stop it. I shoved him in the shoulder. No, it's me. I sat here for two years while this fucking disease killed our son, holding my tongue, waiting for you to actually do something, and... Eyes flaring, he looked back in my direction. And what would you have me do? I'm not God. Snorting, I shook my head. (laughs) No, but you're a fucking doctor, and... His voice raised when he cut me off. I'm a fucking anesthesiologist, and he had a bad heart. We knew he probably wasn't going to live long once he got diagnosed, and I stabbed a finger in his direction as my vision began to blur. Yeah, and the cardiologist said it was genetic. I know my family doesn't have a history of heart problems, and your dad died at gritting his teeth. He forced his voice back to a lower volume. It has a genetic component. I didn't cause this. Neither did you. It's one of those things that just happens. I wanted to say more. But I was too angry. If we kept going, I was going to attack him. Not because I couldn't see what he was saying, but because I didn't care. I'd spent the last ten years loving my baby boy, and now he was dead dead and gone and the person I needed the most couldn't drop his fucking detached calmness for ten fucking you should have gone in to see him I told you he was awake for an hour this morning before he slipped away I snapped my head towards him surprised when I saw he was holding out a small white rock he wanted us to have this tears began to trickle down Will's face He said it was a wishing rock. We get three wishes each. So we can be happy again. Seeing him crying didn't help at all. It somehow made it worse, in fact. A grown man holding a rock out of our yard, crying because he couldn't do anything trying to make me feel bad because I didn't want to see my baby wither away. Didn't want to remember him that way. Smiling at him, I snatched the rock from his palm. You want me to wish? You want me to be happy? Okay, here we go. He went to open his mouth, but I held up my hand. No, no. This is what you wanted, right? This is what I missed out on, not watching our son die? 
I wish that I go on forever. That I never have to worry about stupid fucking heart problems or getting old and fat and dying of a stroke. That no matter what life throws at me, I'll keep fucking coming back for more. Second, I wish I didn't know you at all. You or anything connected to you. You've done nothing but drag me down, give me pain, and make me less than I fucking was before I met you. I wish I didn't even remember you or your stupid fucking face. Carol, please don't say something that I'm not done. You said three, right? This is kind of an extension of two, but I just thought of it, and it's worth the last wish to make sure it sticks. I wish you to be forgotten. All your precious family, all the dumb shit you've done as a doctor, if you can call yourself that, I want you to be reminded on a daily basis that nothing you do is noticed or cared about by anybody. I toss the rock in his direction with a snarl. That's what I fucking wish. Will caught the rock and stared at it for several moments as a poisonous silence stretched out between us. When he spoke, his voice was cold. My first wish was that you get what you wanted, whatever that was. So, good luck with that. When he looked up at me, his eyes were hard. My second was that you would find a way to accept everything that's happened. You live in denial so much of the time, and I didn't want you to suffer more, but I do feel like you'd be a happier better person if you could just be honest with yourself and face the world as it is, even just like once a year. Remember and take an inventory of everything. That that was my second wish. His head snapped to the side as I slapped him, the sound ringing off the walls of the small waiting room we were in. How dare you? You don't know me. You don't understand what I've been through. Why would I want to remember any of this? Will's jaw flexed as he stared at me. I lost him too, you bitch. But that's the problem. No matter what is happening to others, all I could see was myself, repeated over and over in mounds of ruined flesh. Some bodies were clothed while others were naked. Many were dismembered or burned, but others seemed perfectly whole, buried under the crushing weight of meat and bone that surrounded him. But all of them were me. I heard a beeping noise and looked over to see a man hit the button on his watch. 2.11. Right on time. He turned to me and lowered his mask. Remember me now? I blinked. Will. What? Oh, God, oh no. He grinned. Yes. <laughs> That's it. Let it all soak in. Crumbling to the ground, I felt the weight of missing memory bearing down on me, crushing me. Gasping, I looked around again. I'd been here before. Several times before, my body shuddered as I began to vomit and then retch, muscles growing tight and sore as the spasms racked my body past the point of anything being left. 
When it finally eased, I looked up to see Will still watching me. What? What's happening to me? He nodded. It started a few days after Zack died. You forgot who I was. At first, I thought you were just being batty, but no, you really didn't know me anymore. I would have been more upset about that, but I'd already started moving out, and honestly, I was having my own shit going wrong. His expression hardened. They started forgetting me at work. It was subtle at first, but by the end of the month, they really didn't know who I was. I could bring in IDs, paperwork, and they could read it and understand it, but as soon as they stopped looking at it, they forgot it again. The only upside of all that was that they also can't remember to take me out of the system, so I still get my paycheck direct deposited every two weeks. I have to do everything electronically now, from buying things to renting an apartment. Will gestured at the warehouse. Got this place online, too. Wiping my mouth, I shook my head. Congratulations. Sounds like you got the good end of this. He cut me off. Good end? Fuck you. My family doesn't know me. No one does. I've been totally alone for four years. Will snorted. Well, except for you. And even that only really counts on your new birthday. I blinked. Moore was coming back as he talked. You... You've been... You've been hurting me over and over. For years, haven't you? He grinned. Hurting you? <laughs> no. I've been fucking killing you. The first time it was an accident, back near the start, after I'd lost almost anything. I found you and confronted you, demanded you fix it or take it back. You didn't know who I was, of course, and things got... physical. You almost killed me that time, actually. After it was done, I buried you, and then a week later, I saw you drive by. Will laughed. You can die just like anyone else, but it doesn't stop you. You just come back. He pointed to the mounds of bodies. You get a new body every time, and I just keep killing them. Well, kind of. They don't rot much, and we'll still move around a little from time to time, which is part of why I store them here. Don't want them flopping out of an unmarked grave like a fish somewhere. The curse you put on me extends to anything I'm actively touching or interacting with, but I leave a brainless zombie out somewhere. Eventually, someone will find it and notice. As he spoke, I saw one of the mounds shift. A small hand, my hand, was twitching restlessly from beneath a pair of dismembered legs. I remember now. He'd been doing this for nearly four years, almost every day for four years. I didn't remember it all, and this last year was far clearer than what had come before, but there had to be... How many? 1,192, he grinned. You'll make 1,193. After you celebrate your birthday, of course. Standing shakily, I frowned at him. I don't understand. My birthday is in October. 
Moving behind me, he cut the zip ties on my wrist. It is, but this isn't your regular birthday. It's the anniversary of when Zack died, when we made our wishes. I made mine about 2.11 that afternoon. I remember, because it was right before they called the time of death at 2.14. Stepping back around, his face was dark. Your wishes were a bit later, but they were always active, so it doesn't matter. I don't remember the exact wording I used, but apparently my wish that you see things as they really are only kicks in once a year. His expression brightened as he let out a laugh. (laughs) Man, this is the first time that happened. Whew, you almost got away. I think I was more scared than you were. Shaking his head, he looked around. That's the other reason for this place. It's a good spot to keep you confined on your new birthday, see what I've accomplished, and have you write down what you've been through while you remember it clearly. I stared at him, unable to keep the fear and loathing out of my voice. You're insane. Will giggled. Oh yes, I'm very much insane, I know that, he squinted at me. What do you think would happen when you made the world forget about me and left me all alone? Shaking my head, I started to back away. I needed to find a way out of here before it was too late. I didn't know any of this would happen, you idiot. It was a stupid rock. Neither of us knew it would actually grant wishes. He spread his hands as he smiled at me. And yet it did. Here we are. Lunging forward, he grabbed my arms, bringing his face down to mine. All the doors are time-locked. All the windows are barred. You're stuck in here with me for the next 12 hours, so you can either write your account and get a quick end to your birthday, or... Trembling, I forced myself to meet his gaze. Or what? He nuzzled my face lightly. Or I can spend the next 12 hours torturing you to death. He chuckled nastily. I hate to admit it, but I've gotten very good at it. And nowadays, I do like to take advantage of the rare chance to feel a sense of accomplishment. Leaning back, he tapped me on the nose. So your choice. Shuddering, I nodded. I'll write it down. I'll write it all down. Will smiled. Good. He carried me over to a corner of the enormous room where he had set up a small table and a laptop. No internet, he warned me, but the word processor was up to date. My mind was racing for a way out, but I was remembering enough to know that there probably wasn't any. None other than mine. Because Will wasn't wrong about me. I didn't mind forgetting the painful things, glossing over the harsher details of life. And a lot of the time, at least a portion of every day, I got to live my life as I wanted. Zack dying, the bad shit Will was doing to me, I only had to remember it once a year. The pain and fear and dread I felt would be mostly gone when I woke up tomorrow and eventually Will would either get bored or get dead and then I'd just be immortal. With no more time stolen and no memory of the bad shit this nutjob did to me for a few years. What are you smiling at? His voice was sharp as he looked down at me. Oh, nothing. This is all just... I'm just freaked out and scared. 
Will nodded, seemingly satisfied. Fair enough. Okay, time to get cracking, he snickered. Or I will. I started to type when he put his hand on my shoulder. Sorry, I forgot to tell you one more thing. You never ask me and I always forget to tell you until it's too late. I promised myself I wouldn't make that mistake this year. My stomach lurched as I glanced up at him. What's that? My third wish. Huh? He smiled. Well, as you may recall, I told you at the hospital what my first two wishes were, but we never got around to my last one. Leading down, he put his lips next to my ear. I'm a bit embarrassed, I admit. The wish sounds sappy now, but at the time, I didn't know how much you hated me. Look, I I don't... I winced as his finger dug into my shoulder. Don't lie. It won't work. His voice was coarse as granite one moment, and then back to the soft, almost playful tone he had before. I tried not to show how my skin was crawling at feeling his breath on my face. You want to know my third wish, Carol? Uh, yeah. Sure. He gave my ear a small kiss before whispering the words to me. I wished that no matter what happens, I'll always, always be here for you.